Chapter 19 of A Girl of High Adventure. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. A Girl of High Adventure by L.T. Mead. Chapter 19 Le Cabinet de Beauté. But little Margot was not to get off quite so easily. She was to have her trials the same as other people. There was not the slightest doubt whatsoever that Margot had a nature far above the ordinary. It was strong, it was brave, it had a sort of noble simplicity about it. She was proud of her race, both on her father's and her mother's side, but she could not see the slightest harm in assisting la belle grand with the établissement. She did see, however, a good deal of harm in annoying, nay, more, in seriously injuring the lives of two dear old men, both of them in their own way the dearest old men in the world. Of course the Desmond was the best of all. He was grand, noble, superb, but there was also something très magnifique, according to la belle grand-mère, in Monsieur le Comte Saint-Just. He was so feeble, too, and so old. He must not be hurt for anything in the world. Margot thought nothing whatsoever about her supposed dot, but she sympathized with la belle grand-mère in keeping all knowledge of le magasin for Monsieur le Comte. The little madame idolized the sweet girl and poured her troubles into those sympathetic ears. Behold, behold, she cried, there would not be l'argent for mon Alphonse if thou didst not do thy noble best. If I did not keep the établissement going, he wants his comforts, that aged and beloved one. Ah, oui, je comprends, said little Margot. And she did comprehend, and kept her word. After a few weeks had gone by, Madame la Comtesse gave orders to her servants not to admit anyone, old or young, man or woman, into the presence of Monsieur le Comte. The servants assured her that they would obey her to the very letter. They loved her because she was so bright and gay and obliging. They did not, in the least, mind whether she kept a magasin or not. Did she not load them with gifts? Was there ever quite so good a place to serve in as the Chateau Saint-Just? Yes, they loved Madame, and they adored la petite comtesse. But it so happened that the old Monsieur le Comte, lying against his pillows of down, thought a great deal about his granddaughter. Henri was indeed a boy to be proud of, but after all, he was nothing to la petite. He wasted l'argent. La petite seemed never to spend anything. Was justice being done to this charming little creature by the father of Henri? He troubled himself about this. He became anxious. One day he spoke to Madame la Comtesse. Madame, he said, thou hast given up thy établissement? Ah, oui, certainement, Alphonse, was the quick answer of Madame. Tell me now, from the bottom of that heart, madame, what provision we can make for la petite comtesse. Madame named a sum which certainly staggered the old man. Thou must be très riche, he said. Ah, oui, it is the will of God, replied madame. Then she added, stroking his silvery hair and laying her piquant face close to his, Dost thou not remember, thou superb, angelic one, that on the day we received la comtesse, a notary came and settled on her the sum I have mentioned? Ah, oui, answered Monsieur le Comte. I remember, and yet I forget. 
The aged, they always forget. It is a trial of old age not to remember. It is un fait accompli, said madame. Fret not thyself, cher Alphonse. The old comte smiled. I like to think of our little one, he said, always and ever surrounded by the luxuries of life. When she is older, much older, we will marry her to a man, young and beautiful and of great rank. She is worthy of the best, and she shall have the best. May we, may we, answered madame. But I have been thinking, pursued Monsieur le Comte, that her education is not progressing. We could not permit her to return to the school, where that ugly mademoiselle was taught to tell the black lies. Non, said madame, certainement non. But I want her to go to a school, said Monsieur le Comte. Why dost thou frown, my adored Ninon? Because I am thinking, she replied. There is but one school in Arles worthy of la petite, and that is held by la princesse de Pleury. But, alas, even that school is not what it used to be. There used to be there only les demoiselles, the most refined, the highest in rank. Not the grass green. Ha, ha, laughed the comte. Thou art right, my adored one, not the grass green. I, too, have thought of the education of la petite. It is of the utmost importance. Why not place her in the hands of a gouvernante? There is one, Mademoiselle de Close. She is connected with Mademoiselle de Blanc. She is of high rank and of great intelligence. And between Mademoiselle de Close and Mademoiselle de Blanc, we can have la petite taught in this, that known chateau, all the things that belong to the best society. Of what age are those Mademoiselles? asked the comte. Mademoiselle de Close is eighteen, Mademoiselle Leblanc one year more. They are young, but they are finished. Ah, to the most complete. And what knowledge can they impart? asked Monsieur le Comte. They'll teach her all those things that a young Mademoiselle should know. They will keep her mind, mark you, Monsieur le Comte, as white as the white Marguerite, and they will impart to her those graces of society which are essential to le bon mari by and by. They can come here day about, at two of the clock, and spend until four with la petite. Send them to me one at a time, said the comte, and let me interview them alone. Accordingly, Madame la Comtesse went that very day to a unique and charming little flat in a unique and charming part of Arles. It was called Le Cabinet de Beauté. The lady who entered the room on the arrival of Madame called herself Félicité. She held up her hands, arched her brows, and said, "'Ah, madame, have you come to me indeed? Have you come at last, that I may perform on you my art? Behold how little it is, and how much! It finishes never. See, madame? Behold, I will mark out to you your day. You must have these chocolats. You must rise never later than eight o'clock, and promenade on foot for les douches. This exercise preserves the form.' Then, behold, the masseuse appears and makes miracles of the hands. Afterwards, you rest as is necessary, and Mademoiselle Blanc does the rest. Ah, but she is a veritable artiste, is Mademoiselle Blanc. You want us? You have come. I am at your feet, beautiful madame. I want you not at all, said Madame la Comtesse. The good God himself has given unto me the cheeks of roses, and the eyes so bright and the figure so straight. 
But behold, listen, there is ma petite, the idol of her grandfather, the adored of her belle grand-mère. Monsieur le comte knows nothing of my établissement, and he must never know, never, never. There are things which all women of fashion learn, and I want you, Mademoiselle Close, and that other gracious lady, Mademoiselle Blanc, to come day about to the chateau in order to instruct la petite, but you must not touch on the make-up, comprenez-vous? It would be fatal. L'enfant toujours. That mind so white must be kept white. But you must teach her, Mademoiselle Close, such things as the English and the French and the German and the géographie for two hours every other day, and on the other days, Mademoiselle Blanc should teach her. You must be at the chateau for two hours each day, but before anything is firmly established, you must go to the chateau and acquaint Monsieur le Comte with the fact that you are a poor gouvernante, one of the high nobility. You must present yourself to him as Mademoiselle de Close, and your friend must be Mademoiselle de Blanc, and I will pay you well, ah, well, that is, if you keep strictly to your post, keep firmly to the lessons which I have set you, the white heart to be kept white, the holy things to be instructed to la petite, comprenez-vous? Ah, oui, said Mademoiselle Close, and you will pay well, Comtesse? According to your merits will I pay. I care not how much, so long as it pleases mon mari. Get ready at once, and I will drive you, Mademoiselle Close, to the Chateau Saint-Just. Mademoiselle certainly saw a good thing before her. She dressed according to the directions of Madame, very simply and quietly. She removed the rouge from her cheeks and the artificial darkness from beneath her eyes. She was no longer a pretty woman, but she was, according to Madame, one with l'air distingué. Soon they reached the chateau. Little Margot had not yet returned home. She was at her dancing class and was perfectly happy. Madame rushed gaily into the presence of Mon Alphonse. I have found her and she is a treasure. Listen, hearken. She belongs to the nobility. She is Mademoiselle de Close. Her friend also is Mademoiselle de Blanc. She is poor, but she is simple, aristocratic, learned. She will teach thy granddaughter for two hours every second day. On alternate days, Mademoiselle de Blanc will do likewise. I have brought her back with me for thee to see. Ah, but I am tired, said the comte. I did not know that thou wouldst be si vite, ma comtesse. Ah, but vite is the word, cried la comtesse. For youth it flies, months go by, years go by. Behold, whilst thou art looking round, taking a little nap, Ah, no more, just a little nap, la petite will grow up. Wilt thou then see Mademoiselle de Close? Yes, thou art ever right, comtesse, replied the old comte. Present me to Mademoiselle. I will treat her with that courtesy which a lady should receive. Now Mademoiselle Close, as she was really called, knew well where her bread was buttered, and she was in consequence quite able to answer the inquiries made by that gracious and most aristocratic old person, Monsieur le Comte. "'I will try you for one month,' he said. "'You will be here at two to the minute tomorrow, and then, behold, it will be my pleasure to be present while you instruct my granddaughter.' But here Mademoiselle drew up her head in a very haughty way. "'Alas, Monsieur le Comte,' she said, "'I am poor and low in the world, but I have my little pride, my last rag of possession.' 
I share that rag with my beloved friend, Amzel de Blanc. We could not be treated as though we meant to impart evil. We must be trusted or we can do nothing. We must decline this generous offer of yours, Monsieur le Comte, unless we are treated as ladies of rank. La petite comtesse will not suffer at our hands, but we must teach her each in our turn alone. Is it to be, Monsieur le Comte? For there is the house of one who seeks our services, and we can go there if you do not permit. For one month I permit, said the Comte. I did not mean to hurt your feelings, mademoiselle. I was only full of interest at the thought of listening to the knowledge which you will pour into the ears of la petite comtesse. Ah, well, monsieur, I cannot change. I await your decision. You shall teach her alone, said monsieur le comte. Send your friend to see me tomorrow, and come yourself as arranged, to begin those instructions which demoiselles of rank require. Ah oui, monsieur, oui, you indeed belong, as I do myself to the ancienne noblesse. The arrangement was quickly arrived at. The two ladies were interviewed by Monsieur le Comte, and both completely had their own way with him. Madame la Comtesse had a little talk with Margot, and on a certain Thursday the lessons so unique and perfect began. Unique and perfect they were not, but they interested Margot, who listened with the color rising to her cheeks and her velvety black-brown eyes fixed on the faces of her teachers. She still pursued her French in the town of Arles, and talked it with Mademoiselle de Close and de Blanc. She also read a little history, all in the French tongue, but occasionally her lovely eyes were fixed with a sort of dull amazement on the faces of these faded women, who no longer dressed to captivate their customers at the cabinet de beauté, showed their true age, which was anything but young. When the first week was over and the ladies had departed, Little Margot skipped into her grandfather's room, flung herself on her knees by his side, and told him about les pauvres gouvernantes. Dost thou like them, my little one? asked Monsieur le Comte. No, grand-père, was the reply. Why dost thou say that? Thy words arrest and alarm me. They are only wooden dolls, said la petite comtesse. They have no thoughts. I do not think they can instruct me, for I... I wish not to be vain, but I know more than they do. Monsieur le Comte was much distressed at hearing this. I like thy teaching best, compère. Tell them to go and come back no more. I have engaged them for a month, ma pauvre petite. Thou must even bear with them for a month, mon ange, and then they shall go. But say not to them that they shall go. No, no, mon compère, not for the world, said Margot. The month came to an end. Margot endured it because she began to teach the aged, ignorant governesses herself. She found the task quite agreeable and did not mind what the ladies felt. In fact, they were fascinated by her talk and found her pretty speeches and gay manners truly diverting. They were earning large sums of money and had nothing to do. They were not teaching. They were being taught. At last the day came when the thunderbolt fell. Margot was sent up to her room. The two ladies arrived in a hurry together by special request of Monsieur le Comte. Madame looked at them with anxious eyes. I did not know that you are quite so ignorant, Felicité, she said, nor you, Thérèse. I have given mon mari l'argent to pay you both, but my poor friends, behold, you must come here no more. 
The astonished ladies were received by Monsieur le Comte. He received them civilly, but with a certain distance. He said he had other views for la petite. He paid them their month's money, which Madame had given him for the purpose, and they walked down the neatly kept avenue, burning rage in their hearts. Why had they made themselves so ugly for so poor a reward? Suddenly, as they were approaching Arles, hoping not to be recognized, whom should they see coming to meet them but several girls belonging to the school of la Princesse de Fleury? Amongst these girls was Louise Grognon. Most of the girls took no notice whatsoever of the faded-looking old ladies, but Louise recognized them. Quick as thought, she made up her mind. She said a word to her companion, explained that she knew the chère demoiselle, and presently was walking by their sides. "'You keep the cabinet de beauté?' she said. "'We do, and we have almost ruined ourselves for nothing,' said Mademoiselle Close. Tears crept between her eyelids. "'Tell me everything,' said Louise, "'and perhaps I can help.' "'You? How can you possibly help?' "'Well, at least tell me. I will do my best.' So the old ladies described how they had to give up their profession. They could no longer use the masseuse on the hand, nor the rouge on the cheeks. They could no longer direct as they used to do, the daily programme of their pupils. Everything was at an end because, forsooth, Madame la Comtesse Saint-Just required the best part of the day for one of these ladies. Turn about, truly. Ah, yes, turn about, to teach la petite comtesse. But, behold, they could not teach. It was true, alas, more than true. They could give vast instructions as to massage and the brushing of the hair and the delicate touch of rouge on the cheeks, but what did they know of German or of geography? The world for them consisted of la belle France. Was there another land? Ah, well, they did not know of it. Still, la charmante petite comtesse was all that was elegant and delightful, and she would beyond doubt have a very great dot some day, and she would marry according to the French custom into the high nobility. They found it tiresome to sit with the child and teach her nothing. But behold, she taught them, and she knew... Ah, uh, ten times as much as they did. It was wonderful to listen to her. There were other countries, Angleterre, Irlande, a country called Germany, and lands many and wonderful across the deep, deep sea. It was like listening to a fairy tale to hear La Petite talk, and they were getting a good salary. Ah, oui, très bien, n'est-ce pas? But behold the old comte, he was angry, and La Petite Comtesse must have told him things. She looked true at heart, but she was not true at heart. And behold, undoubtedly, she had enlightened Monsieur le Comte concerning them. They were sent away in disgrace. Their hearts were broken. Do you want your revenge? asked Louise. Revenge, certainement. But could there be revenge? I tell you there can be, said Louise. I failed, but you can succeed. You, Félicité Close will receive me in your cabinet de beauté tomorrow, and behold, you will manicure my hands, and while so doing, I, I myself will enlighten you, and you shall avenge yourselves upon the comte. C'est bien, c'est bien, murmured Mademoiselle Blanc. At two o'clock tomorrow I will arrive, said Louise. Keep me not waiting, I beseech of you, Mademoiselle Close and Mademoiselle Blanc. I will teach you both how to avenge yourselves on Monsieur le comte, at the Chateau Saint-Just. 
Accordingly, Louise returned home in the highest spirits, and wrote a letter of rapture to Tilly at Clapham Common. "'There is still of hope,' she wrote, "'the hope that never dies. Keep up your spirits, Matilda Reigns. Most unexpectedly has the hope arisen. It fills the sky like the most beautiful sunset. Behold, it is golden and close at hand. I shall have earned my sixty francs, and thou wilt invite me to thy chateau of renown in the aristocratic quarter called Clapham Common. I will visit you in Angleterre, and in Clapham Common we shall clasp hands and meet heart to heart. End of chapter 19 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona